Welcome campers. I'm your camp counselor, Alicia, and for the next three weeks, you will be joining me and my co-counselors, Ashley and Jeremy, as we take you on a trip into the great outdoors. Being outside is full of wonder, excitement, endless possibilities, new experiences, and new friends. But sometimes, sometimes things just aren't always as wonderful and carefree as they may seem. While you're out roasting marshmallows for s'mores, someone may be lurking right on the tree line. While you're snuggled in your sleeping bag as the crickets lull you to sleep, maybe someone is patiently waiting to hear your breathing slow, signaling that you're asleep and vulnerable. That rustling of leaves, maybe it wasn't just the wind. That brushing up against your tent, maybe it wasn't just the person next to you moving in their sleep. The sound of twigs snapping, maybe it wasn't just an animal. Maybe, just maybe, the great outdoors aren't so great after all. Hello again, Murd Nerds. This is the last episode of our summer camp special episodes, and I'm kind of sad about it because we've had a blast. Yeah, Camp Murd Nerds. After this episode, we will be going outside of our home state of Indiana and around the world covering cases of the unsolved, missing, and strange true crime, which mm-hmm. I like the strange cr- true crime. Crew crime. crime. Crew crime. Um, it's going to be weird going from just covering one state to broadening our horizons and covering the rest of what the world has to offer. But I think the three of us are ready. What do you think? I'm ready. And I also think that's the coolest effing golf cart ever. That is pretty fucking cool. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready to uh, expand out a little bit. I love, I love the ideas of these things, you know, so close to home, but I'm ready to hear some Wyoming. Yeah, or, we really, we put ourselves in a corner that was just too small of a niche. Like, it was just too hard to... To find anything. Well, and it was it was good, and I liked it, and it felt great. But we knew from the beginning that we weren't going to just stay in Indiana. Yeah, it was like kind of a jump off point. Yeah, it was our it was a little stepping stone. Well, yeah. you guys got twenty five great episodes out of that out mm-hmm. of the state of Indiana. So I mean, that's yeah. I'm sure that there's twenty eight. Yeah. This is episode twenty eight. Well, yeah, know, but, but you only did twenty five in the state of Indiana. We're oh, I'm stupid. I was like, camp- wait a second. <clears throat> your, camper, your camping, your camping ones have been uh, all over <laughs> the United States. I so. did try to Got find it. an Indiana camping one. I couldn't find one. Hmm. Interesting, but there's plenty. <laughs> but we are still so here. At Not the in camp- Indiana. I'm just saying. General. Okay, Sorry. I was like, uh, I know you looked at. Me I like didn't find any. <laughs> Where were they? But we're still here at the campground. We're still here at the campground, so if you s- hear, I was going to say see. Things see have here. gotten really quiet around Yeah, they here. have. It's gotten late. We're just out here yelling. <laughs> yeah. That's fine. So, yeah, we hope you guys are ready to join us as we go around the state. That's not the state. The state's the plural. States. All yes. 52 of them, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> this is callback. <laughs> Uh, if you're new to Murder Nerds, we're a true crime podcast that focuses on unsolved murders, missing people, and cases that just get you scratching your head a little bit. But before we jump into this case I'm covering today, Jeremy, Ashley, how are you guys doing? How are you enjoying camping? I am enjoying camping. 
<laughs> I love to camp. He loves to camp. Jeremy camps all the time. All the time. <clears throat> yeah, this is awesome. It's like uh, almost midnight now. We're a little sleepy, a little yeah. slap happy. So this should be interesting. <laughs> this will be an interesting <laughs> one. Now, this story might um, make you not enjoy camping so much. Great. <laughs> Great. Getting ready to go on a little mini vacation to you a cabin are, in the woods. You yeah. are perfect timing. <laughs> Do you remember the movie The Strangers? I fucking hate that movie. Is that that's is that Alexander Skarsgård is in that? No. 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 Mm-mm. I didn't watch it, but I know the movie you're talking about. So The Strangers is a psychological thriller that starred Liv Tyler. Liv Tyler and that. Scott Speedman. It came out in 2008 and was the story of a couple who are expecting to have this really relaxing weekend at a family vacation home. and uh, But their stay turns out to be anything but relaxing. But Yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ashley, I remember watching this movie for the first time at your mom's house. Mm-hmm. And we, I, you know, I stayed there a lot as a kid. And your mom and stepdad worked third shift. So we would stay up all night, even on school nights, Mm -hmm. and just watch whatever. And this night we decided to watch The Strangers. And the scene where they're just like hanging out and the guy's in the background. Right. Like outside the window? No, he's in the house. He's like down the hallway. And I was just watching the two main characters. And then my eye traveled to him and it scared the piss out of me. And it wasn't even supposed to be like a jump scare. No, not at all. (laughs) And we were alone. Like, we were just always alone. Yeah. Every night. So it was super duper scary. But allegedly, this is the case that the movie took inspiration from, along with the Manson family murders and a string of burglaries that happened in the director's childhood home. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. This is the case, or this case is one that just baffles me because it's just really senseless. Like, they're all senseless, but this one's just like, there's no motive. There's nothing behind it. Obnoxiously brutal. And seems like a case that should have been solved. But there were some blunders that happened. As mm. we know too blunders. well. Blunders. Mm. Mm-hmm. Were they investigation blunders? Oh, you'll see. <laughs> all of the blunders. <laughs> <laughs> this is the unsolved case of the Ketty Cabin murders. I got him. Ashley got a bug. Good job, Ashley. Sue Sharp was a very shy, reserved woman who lived in Connecticut with her husband, James, and their five children. John was 15. Sheila was 14. Tina was 12. Rick was um, 10. And Greg was five. Sue was insanely unhappy. James was extremely abusive to her and the children, too. So she planned she started planning to leave him and take her kids with her. By 1980, she finally had a plan. She divorced her husband and moved herself and the five kids across the country to California. Sue's brother, Don, lived in the small town of Ketty, California, which is a little over three hours north of Sacramento. Not only would Sue have family close by living in Ketty, but... The area right there is just striking. It's nestled right between tons of national forests, so the scenery was just beautiful. This was the perfect place to restart her life and the lives of her children. Sue arrived in California ready for the fresh start, but obviously now being a single mother of five uh, in a brand new place, she didn't have a lot of money. Her brother Don was kind enough to let her stay in a trailer that he owned, but Sue and the kids were, like, all packed in, like, sardines, so she knew she had to act quick to give the best life that she could for them. Six people in one house, 
is a lot, especially in a trailer. So Sue did what she knew how to do best and just pushed on. She found the Ketty Resort and discovered that she could rent a cabin there. There were a lot of other people who would rent the cabins and live there, not just camp. So she decided that this would be a great temporary place for her and the kids. The resort was once a really great place, but with age, it became a little run down. The cabins were almost like small, bi-level homes. There was a main floor with a front door right at the front of the house, obviously. And... <laughs> man, they're speeding. Mm. <laughs> and then at the back, you could see a basement floor that was underneath the main floor with its own door. And then from the basement floor to the main floor was a set of stairs that led to another back door. So can you, instead of like bi-levels are usually side by side when they do the bi-levels, this one was like front and then the back drop down, like an upside down L kind of. Um, The cabin wasn't the best, but it worked for Sue and her family and it was still fairly close to her brother, Don. So the rent was cheap enough. She could get a job, save up, find a permanent home for them cabin 28 would be the best stepping stone into their new life but was it cabin 28 that sounds like a scary movie that's that's what i was thinking i was like is there a movie that could be called cabin 28 it took no time for the kids and sue to get comfortable at the caddy resorts they all started becoming well acquainted with their neighbors they were there were other children that lived there too and they were all roughly around the same ages as sue's children which she had five and pretty broad ages so yeah uh the kids made friends really, really quick. Finally, Sue found the solace and peace that she had been waiting for so long. But sadly, that only lasted five months. On the evening of Saturday, April 11th, 1981, Sue's oldest daughter, Sheila, who was 14, made plans to stay at the cabin across from hers. This was cabin 27 and was home of the Seabolt family. The Seabolts had a daughter who was about the same age as Sheila, so naturally she and the daughter became best friends. Tina, age 12, had been playing all day with her friend who lived in Cabin 26. Cabin 26 was home to the Smart family, and it was right next to the Sharp Cabin. So Tina was still there when Sheila left. Her older brother, John, who was the 15-year-old, was out exploring and being a teenager with his best friend, Dana Wingat. Wingat, Excuse me. Uh, I'm unsure if Dana was a resident of the Caddy Resort or not, but I would assume so since the resort is pretty much all the Sharp kids knew. While all of her older children were out having fun with their friends, Sue stayed home with the younger two siblings, Rick and Greg. Rick and Greg had their friend, Justin Smart, over for a sleepover. And that's from, Justin Smart is from Cabin 26. So Justin lived with his mother and stepfather, Marilyn and Martin Smart, and an older brother in Cabin 26. Cabin 26 is also where Tina was said to be playing all day long. At around 10 p.m., Tina decided that she wanted to come home. To set the scene a little better, Tina, Sheila, and Sue all shared a room. And then the three boys, John, Rick, and Greg, shared the other room. So at some point after 10 p.m., John and his friend Dana came back to Cabin cabin 28. The events that occurred after they returned aren't officially known. The next morning, Sunday, April 12th, Sheila woke up at around 7 a.m. from her sleepover at Cabin 27. She decided she was ready to leave the Seabolt's cabin and headed back home. As she went in the front door, which led directly into the living room, she walked into a nightmare. At the entrance of the doorway laid her brother, John. Next to him was his best friend, Dana, and by their family couch was her mother, all dead. Everything was covered in blood, the floor, the ceilings, walls, and their bodies were covered in blood. 
Sheila immediately thought of her younger siblings and went back into the boys' room. There she found Rick, Greg, and Justin all unharmed and sound asleep. The moment she realized they were okay, she took off back outside into cabin 27 where she stayed the previous night. There she told her friend's father, James Seabolt Sr., what she had seen and that her brothers and their friend were still sleeping inside the home. James followed Sheila back to her family's cabin where he walked in and witnessed for himself just how brutal these murders were. To avoid the boys from seeing the living room, he woke them up and told them that they would be climbing out of the bedroom window. When he got all of them out and over to his cabin, he called the owners of the Ketty Resort and relayed what had happened to them. The co-owner, Jan Albin, called the local county police at 8.05 a.m. The first deputy on the scene was Hank Clement. He couldn't believe what had gone on and didn't understand how Sheila wasn't in complete shock and in hysterics. This definitely was going to scar her for the rest of her life. The entire living room was a scene out of a horror movie. The detective who was running the case was Doug Thomas. And instead of calling in homicide from his local police department, he called in the organized crime unit from Sacramento. This group was known for being corrupt at this point in time. Hmm. John was located right at the entrance on his back. He was bound with electrical tape and wires. He was also covered in blood from the neck down. His neck had been completely slit open. He had injuries from a blunt object also. Dana was laying face down right next to John. He had also been bound with electrical tape and wires. He and John, for some reason, were bound together. So they were bound separately at the wrists and at the ankles and then somehow bound together. With electrical tape and wires? Yes. Odd. His head was slightly resting on a pillow, but had been completely destroyed by a blunt object. Although his head was crushed, he had also been manually strangled. I'm assuming he was strangled and then afterwards somebody mm-hmm. did the damage to his head. Sue was laying on her side next to the couch. She was bound at her wrists and ankles with electrical tape and wires just like the boys, and also her wrists were tied to her ankles with medical tape, almost like she was in a fetal position with her knees up to her chest. She was nude from the waist down, and she had been gagged with a blue bandana and her own underwear, which were kept in her mouth by medical tape that had been wrapped around her head several times. Jesus Christ. Yeah. She also had a bruise on the side of her head that was in the shape of the butt of a Daisy Powerline 888 rifle. Sue's throat was also slashed open, and she had been stabbed numerous times very violently. She was partially covered with a blanket, but it didn't look like it was put there carefully or like on purpose, like some murderers try to make like the situation better by trying to put a blanket on her mm-hmm. on them. Um, it's like a sign of remorse. Yes, yeah. it, it was kind of just like thrown in her direction. Do you explain how they know that it was a? I was daisy? literally that was gonna, I was going to ask it as soon as they she don't talking. explain it. They just said that it was. In the <clears> same I mean, that's shape. pretty. Sp- that's specific so for, specific for yeah. the butt of a gun being a bruise on someone. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah, sure they, they don't explain. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. All the victims had been assaulted with a blunt object at least a few times due to their injuries. The basic or the biggest sign on the bodies was the amount of stabbing that occurred. It was, for lack of better term, overkill. If you're a regular consumer of true true crime content, you learn to know that most times when someone is stabbed so many times, it's more of a personal crime. The attacker is angry at this person, and they keep just taking that anger out on them. It's the same with strangulation by hand. That's a very personal way to kill someone. So they're not only been bludgeoned by a a 
something hard. Yes. They were strangled and stabbed. At least Dana was strangled. Okay. He's the only one that didn't have his throat cut open. Gotcha. Okay. Um, Extreme overkill. Oh, for sure. The victim's blood was obviously absolutely everywhere on the scene. It covered the floors, the walls, the ceilings, the sofa, even on the bed in the bedroom that Sue shared with her daughters. By the way the blood stained the house, it seemed to investigators that they had been assaulted and then moved. They also believed this was plausible due to blood being on the bottoms of Sue's feet and then on the bottoms of John and Dana's shoes. They were clearly still alive when there was blood on the floor, hence why they walked in it. Cops were able to get DNA evidence from the bodies. Um, it was from a piece of tape, but considering it was before it was able to be used, it was just collected and then put away. Mm-hmm. After inspecting the bodies, the investigators moved on to the home. There seemed to be no signs of forced entry, so whomever came into the home was more than likely someone that Sue and or her children knew. They tried to pull fingerprints off the handles and the doorways and the handrails, but only one but only one didn't have a known source. So, and that was found on the outside handrail that led from outside by the basement floor to the main floor. So basically what you mean is they all matched people in the house except for one. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, The authorities were starting to believe that whoever did this wore gloves and further evidence proved that they knew what they were doing. They discovered that the phone inside had been pulled off the hook All the lights were turned off in the entire house, and then the blinds throughout the house had been closed shut. Finally, investigators came across what they believed were the suspected murder weapons. A claw hammer, a butcher knife that was covered in blood, and a bloody steak knife. And the steak knife had been used so forcefully to stab the victims that it was completely bent. Jesus. Yeah. Later in the day, officers found another bloody knife that was located in a trash can behind the Keddy General Store, but it's not known if that was connected to the murders or not. While cops were focusing on the scene in Cabin 28, Sheila realized that one of her siblings was still not accounted for. 12-year-old Tina. The last Sheila had known was that Tina was playing at Cabin 26 the night before, and she hadn't seen her since. This was the cabin of Martin and Marilyn Smart. Uh, The authorities found out that Tina did go back home at 10 p.m., but that was the last time anyone had seen her. Investigators decided that since this murder was also turning into a possible kidnapping, that they needed to call in the FBI. When they got a hold of this case, they believed that she had been abducted from the home and taken elsewhere from the crime scene. So they started a manhunt on foot with dogs and by using helicopters to search in and around the Caddy area. They had no luck at all, and there was no sign of Tina anywhere. On April 29th, 1981, the FBI announced that they were, quote, backing off the search as the California State Department of Justice was doing a, quote, adequate job and, quote, made the FBI's presence unnecessary. This was just two weeks after she went missing. Investigators began interviewing and talking to those who had lived at Ketty Resort, hoping that they could get some sort of leads. The first family to be interviewed was the Seabolts who were the family that was right across from the Sharps. They recalled seeing an unknown green van outside of the Sharp cabin at 9 p.m. the night the murders occurred. While interviewing others, there were conflicting statements about this vehicle outside the Sharps' home. Some said it was a brown car. Some said it was a it was just a car that had a flat tire, and that's why it was outside the home. That's a big difference between a van and a car. Yeah, for sure. 
During interviews, one couple said that they were awoken at around 1 to 1.30 in the morning to muffled screams. But considering the cabins were pretty worn down and old, and they were all built so close to one another, they believed the screaming they they were hearing was coming from someone's television. So they just ignored it, went back to sleep. And this is so crazy to me, because how often do we do this? That we just all immediately just shrug things off when we hear, hear something weird or see something weird. And we hear so many times in these cases how someone saw or heard something and just used the most innocent answer for them. But what do we always say? Always overreact. Always overreact. But you know what? I do that too because I will hear noises and I'll think it's, it's like a gunshot. And then I'm like, oh, it's probably just the lumber yard or, oh, it's probably just fireworks or, which, I mean, I've heard about any shooting, so hasn't <laughs> yeah. been oh, a gunshot sure. yet. But I'm always like, I want to like what tell if? somebody that I heard that. Oh, yeah. That could be something. But yeah, then I'm going to be that girl that always calls every time someone drops a skateboard in the street. <laughs> right. Well, and out here you get a lot of that too. Mm-hmm. You know, you lay down in bed and you hear something funny and you're like, you just sit and listen for a while. Mm-hmm. Do I hear anything else? We get, oh, okay, it was just a one-time noise. We don't know what it was, but. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, but sometimes all it takes is one shot. I know. Yep. I don't hear gunshots out here very often. <laughs> So, meanwhile, Justin Smart's stepfather, Martin Smart, was being looked at as a suspect. He started coming off very suspicious. He and his wife had a roommate living with them that was an ex-con and recently out of prison. His name was Joe Bobaday, I think is what it is, but he went by Bo. Both Martin and Bo had connections to drug trafficking and organized crime. Other than already having sketchy pasts, it was believed that Martin and Sue were having an affair. Where whether this is true or not, no one really knows. But to me, it doesn't make much sense because it was also stated that Martin's wife, Marilyn, had become really good friends with Sue. She had told Sue that Martin was extremely abusive and violent. And since Sue had been in this sort, same mm-hmm. sort of situation as well, she was trying to help Marilyn find ways to get away from Martin, which Marilyn did leave Martin. Yeah, she wouldn't have been banging him. No, no. Um, Marilyn left Martin the day of the murders like the day before oh. like they were murdered the night that she left him yes Ooh. martin also told cops that he had a hammer that was missing from his tool collection which was said to be a claw hammer with a blue handle conveniently enough martin moved to reno nevada shortly after the mur- murders took place When Justin Smart's mother, Marilyn, was finally interviewed, she told investigators that she had found a bloody jacket that belonged to Tina in her basement. She also handed a letter to police that she believed was sent from Martin. She claimed that she had given both to the authorities, but there were never any documentation of this. Huh. So let's return back to the two sharp boys and Justin Smart. The younger boys who survived in the bedroom had not heard or seen anything, so they really couldn't give a statement. But Justin Smart came forward and said he did see something that night, but he was having trouble remembering. Authorities ended up choosing an unorthodox way of getting the information. And what do you think it was? Hypnosis. Hypnosis, Hypnosis, yep. Which we've talked about in investigations before um, in past episodes. While under hypnosis, Justin recalls laying in the sharp boy's room and trying to watch some TV to fall asleep. Suddenly heard a commotion between people in the living room. He peeked out the door and saw Sue in the living room with two men, and one of them had a hammer in his hand. 
Justin then watched as John and Dana walked into the house through the front door and started arguing with the men. At this point, the feud started getting louder and more violent, which probably woke up Tina because Tina then came out into the living room and Justin stated specifically that she had a blanket in her arms. So she was there. He remembers her being there. Yes. One of the men grabbed her, took her out the back door while the other man took Sue and started attacking her. When the other man came back into the house, he began attacking the boys. Justin said that the men never noticed he was there watching them and that's how he and Sue's younger boys were spared. So I'm presuming, because it seems kind of weird when I was reading that, that the the boys are just letting this woman get attacked. But I think maybe they were trying to get that man off of Sue. And then they came back, the, the other man came back and took them out. Right. And that's why they were tied together. Well, yeah, and if you have weapons, they can try all they want. All you got to do is crack them once and they're yes. down, you yeah. know. <clears throat> that's interesting that that kid remembers seeing yeah. Tina, so that's, like, verifying that she was there. Yes. From Justin's hypnosis recollection, both men were white, both were wearing denim jackets, and both had on gold-framed sunglasses, which is comical to me because it's dark out at this point. What the fuck is that about? Can I ask one more question? Oh, for sure. He didn't mention that it looked like their neighbor, though, that Martin guy? No. Okay. Um, One of the men was roughly 30 to 32 years old, was 5'8 to 5'10 and medium build. The same man had a black mustache and black greasy hair that was cut shorter than the other man's and was slicked back against his head. The sunglasses that he was wearing had lighter frames so he could slightly see his eyes. The other man was about 28 to 30 years old. He was estimated as being 5'10 to 6 feet tall and medium build. He was clean shaven, but had longer, dirty blonde hair, and that was almost to his shoulders, that was flipping out at the ends. Hmm. His sunglasses were darker and hit his eyes. Using these details that Justin gave them during his hypnosis, investigators were able to come up with a composite drawing of the two suspects. And I'll be sure to post those on our social media pages so everybody can see them, because they look like two wannabe porn stars. Nice. It's always Were the, the sunglasses, nice. did they put the sunglasses on their face in the sketch? In the drawings, yes. Huh. <laughs> on April 22nd, 1984, so three years after the murders um, and when Tina went missing, a man was looking for bottles 100 miles away from Ketty Resort, and he came upon a part of a human skull and mandible. Did you say 100 miles? Mm-hmm. Well, Okay. When investigators came to check out the area where the skull and mandible were found, they found the rest of the remains. And they also discovered a blue nylon jacket, a child's blanket, a pair of Levi Strauss jeans with a missing back pocket, and an empty medical tape dispenser. When the discovery of the remains were released to the public shortly after, still unknown who they belonged to, the county police department received an anonymous tip from a caller. The caller stated that these remains were those of Tina Sharp. The tip was recorded but never documented in the case and progressed any further. They simply sealed it in an envelope and put it in the evidence box. In June of 1984, a forensic pathologist confirmed that the remains were Tina's. From 1984 on, the case of the Ketty murders was completely cold. A lot of the community stated it to really believe that this was all a cover-up or the police dropped the ball entirely. Dana's dad made a statement in 2001 that he believed the police really messed up the case, that they had fumbled over each other so much that they just made everything dramatically worse. 
The sheriff at the time of the murders, Doug Thomas, was even suspected of being friends with Martin Smart. There are suspicions that this is why he called in another police force instead of using his own, and especially one that was notorious for being unprofessional. Um, he decided to make a comment after hearing how everyone felt by saying there are no, there was no shortage of suspects, but suddenly uh, now everyone 35 years later has it all figured out that all the investigating officers are corrupt. It's laughable is what it is. Martin Smart was not a friend of mine. At one point, he and his wife were having marital problems and they came into my office when I was sheriff because they wanted me to counsel them, which to me is like a really weird thing to fucking say or a really weird thing to ask a sheriff, let alone one you apparently aren't friends with. But that just might be me. (laughs) No, that's weird. Why would you ask a sheriff to be your marriage counselor that exactly. makes no sense exactly I've known of people going to their priest mm-hmm. or their pastor for marriage counseling yeah but not your local sheriff you would think it would just be Marilyn going there to be like hey listen this guy He's beats abusive. the shit out of me yeah. yeah yep in 2004 the cabin was torn down because it was becoming a site for like a lot of trespassers and vandalism so after all those years they finally just took it down there was a lot of like paranormal investigators that were going out there and like true crime enthusiasts that were going out there which is like listen I am a heavy consumer of true crime content but I would never like continuously frequent an area where somebody was murdered like that's just super duper weird to me yeah but I mean I don't think it would have to necessarily be one person that goes there all the time it's just people want to go there yeah it's so it's weird well it's a lot like let's even go into like the um the pella pelly pelly murders pelly murders know, yeah just going by and looking at the driving by the, the parsonage yeah. i mean that'd be for us since it's so close i mean yeah so i could see where people would yeah just you drive visit. by and you just like <gasps> yeah oh my god there it is yeah yeah, yeah. It wasn't until 2013 when a new sheriff went into office that the Ketty cabin murder case was reopened Sheriff Greg Hagwood and investigator Mike Hamburg both had connections to the victims in some way. I couldn't find out how they had connections to him, but they had connections to him, whether they were related or whatever. Mike Hagwood said it brings to light an amazing timeline, histories, and what some would say coincidence. Others may look at it more accusingly. I don't put anything outside the realm of possibility. And I'm like, that's a little cryptic. What does that mean? Yeah, it was pretty vague. When the case was reopened, Mike Hamburg decided to uh, go over all the evidence and police files, just taking a second look and reorganizing what evidence that they had. He found a letter, the rumored letter that Marilyn gave the police from Martin. And from what they can tell, the letter was written shortly after the murders happened. Some of the letter read, I paid the price for your love. And now that I have bought it with four people's lives, you tell me you're through great what else do you want so that's pretty much a confession (laughs) yeah if he's the one that actually wrote it yeah when Marilyn was asked about the letter she confirmed that it's in fact Martin's handwriting this seems like a huge piece of evidence that was just never used or progressed any further Marilyn has also said in an interview in 2004 for a documentary that she has always believed Martin and Bo were the ones who committed these murders the phone call with the anonymous tip about Tina turns out the recording was never ever analyzed and was just boxed up and put into evidence but investigators also spoke with Martin's former therapist from Reno and Nevada Martin had confessed to the therapist about committing these murders, which the therapist reported to authorities, 
and nothing was ever done. What in the world? Okay, so this cop that has this link to Martin obviously has something to hide. Mm. Maybe they were like lovers or something. Ooh, that would be a twist. Right? In March of 2016, a man was using a metal detector near a pond in Ketty when he found a hammer with a blue handle that had been there for some time. This hammer matched identically to the hammer Martin said was missing from his tools. But of course, like we always hate to say. Sorry. Yep. <laughs> Both suspects are long gone. Martin died in June of 2000 and Bo died in 1988. Authorities are still looking into the case and have stated that they have found other pieces of evidence that they believe can solve the murders. They now have six people as suspects, all of which are alive. They now have, um, or excuse me, Sheila Sharp said that she is very thankful for all the work that's being done and she believes this will eventually be solved. Sheila also said that investigators are putting in more work now than they ever did when the crime had first been committed. Sheila believes Martin and Bo are the ones who were involved in the murders because it makes the most sense. As of April of 2018, DNA was found on a piece of tape that was left at the scene, and um, it was connected back to one of the living suspects. So it seems like they're getting a little closer to solving this cold case. I can't find anything as of right now that's an update in the cabin murders, but if anything happens with this case, like always, we'll discuss it in a future episode. So So do you, with saying that about the DNA and the tape, do you think that Martin was involved then? Or do you think that that lead with the tape is going to be a better lead? I don't know because I I think about tape, okay? <laughs> I think about tape too sometimes. You know, tape has like a sticky edge. Mm-hmm. It's called the whole backside of it. <laughs> the whole purpose of tape, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking you. Oh, you mean the roll, the sides the of the roll, roll are sticky. yeah, yes. I how much of your DNA can go onto the edge of a tape? On a roll of tape. Oh, it was like touch DNA. Yeah. Yeah. So like what if somebody also that was at the ca- the cabins just like threw that tape in a drawer or borrowed it? Or... Yes, exactly. Yeah, so that could just be. I wonder what the significance of that gun is. The whatever yeah, three eighty eight right. or whatever. It's, it's like never about. brought up again. Nope. So that's kind of weird, especially since no one was shot. Exactly. Exactly. Unless that was a older bruise or something like. You know what I mean? Well, it could be the fact that um, whoever these guys are didn't want to fire that and wake up the entire neighborhood. Like yeah. you said, the walls are thin and they're so close together. It was so just like imita- intimidation yeah, factor. exactly. Well, and here's another thing. Justin Smart wasn't harmed. The boys in that room weren't harmed. So if it was Martin, he would know they were there. He would know that they were there. Yes. But it's definitely two guys. We're trusting Justin's hypnosis account, right? Yes. yes. But we're we're trusting that that's fact that pretty much like there were two men there. I think what that he set didn't it, recognize apparently. I think what set off um me believing the hypnosis was the blanket. Yeah, because then they found the blanket near the body. Yes. Yeah. Let me see if I can pull up a picture of Martin Sharp. Excuse <laughs> me, smart. Is he spooky? Yeah, my curiosity into the um, sketches compared to Martin, how did those match up? Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. 
Like, what does his hair look like? It's cold out here. Getting chilly. I got a fart. <laughs> can I fart? You, you can, can fart. fart all you, want. you can't cut it. What? You- <laughs> oh my god! You cannot cut that. Oh my god! I farted when you were coming out the door. I didn't think, or I thought you heard me at first, but you didn't say anything. Ooh, that's a good one. Sorry. Oh my god! Oh god! Go that way with it. I've been holding on to that for a while. Whew. Okay, so I have. <laughs> Face in sweatshirt. My face is in my sweatshirt to hinder okay, the I'm, fart smell. I'm there too. This is Martin Smart. Okay. Basic 70s dude. Oh, it kind of does look like him, doesn't it? Yep. He's got the black hair. That's yeah. Bo. But he Bo doesn't have long hair. Bo and Martin look like the same person almost. Yeah, look at that. Oh, I clicked it. I'm so sorry. That compared to that, right? With yep. the... Sorry. Didn't mean it's to okay. That. You can still yeah. see it. But look at how his hair flips out. Yeah, like on the sides. Yeah, but that's... I guess it could be shoulder, like kind of in the back, almost shoulder. Well, and how... This was a... Um... And how old was was Justin? Uh, I don't... I don't know. And didn't you say the flipped out hair uh, suspect was blonde? Yes. Because that looks, he likes that he's got dark But if he's remembering through hypnosis, there there could be little details that would be like a little bit off. But they were also involved with true crime or organized crime. So (laughs) (laughs) they were such true crime enthusiasts. They were involved with organized crime. So maybe they called in a hit or something or. Oh yeah. It's just two goons. Yeah. Huh. Um, can I bring up a but why sorry but why 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 would they be the target of the hit why would sue be the target of the hit well i read something and i didn't want to bring this into the the whole conversation but that she was a prostitute and there was two men that's how she was getting money because she didn't have money but what would that have to do with the hit on her well uh, the hit could be from uh, Martin being pissed because she was the one that convinced his wife to leave. That's what I was thinking. That's what I was or, thinking. He found out that they were communicating. Or his wife found out about the quote unquote possible affair and that oh. he got mad and took it out on right, Sue. Right. And then her sons walked in. Like you're the whore. Yeah. 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 Even though he equally would have been in part of that. Yeah. For sure. I've heard that. We're so because he had a partner. She did not. Yeah. I. Her husband came to California, and but I don't. I think he was completely taken out of the. Yeah, I was going to ask him about the husband. Yeah, I think he was completely taken out of. Like he alibied out or something. Yes, that was the word I was looking for. He had an alibi. um, What was your question? I'm sorry. Yeah, that that goes back to the husband. Oh, okay. Never. Once she left him, that was pretty much all he heard. I mean, he wasn't a. Doesn't sound like he was a very good dude. So. No, no, yeah, you're right. I didn't even that didn't even cross my mind because she left that violent situation. Yeah. And who's to say he didn't send? But would he kill his own kids? I mean, anything. Well, well he only killed. Oh, him. I guess he killed Tina. He killed the two oldest ones in the house. That would make sense. The only two that would be able to recollect and tell people. No, who, because Sheila was 14. She was the second oldest. She was. Yeah, there. but she wasn't home. Yeah. I'm saying the, the, he killed the 15 year old, and then he killed the 12 year old. Mm-hmm. Everybody else was younger, so maybe... 
the one thing that wouldn't make sense with Martin is he knew that Tina had went back home. Yeah. Well, yeah. And it would unless just, he thought she was going straight to bed, it really would have to be someone. I think it might have just been random, because been. anybody, if you put a hit out, they would know more information about there being more kids there. If it was the husband, if it was Martin, all of those people should have known that there would have been kids in that back bedroom. Mm-hmm. So it does seem like it might have just been opportunity. Or maybe someone heard through the grapevine, oh, hey, a prostitute lives here. And it was some like psycho extremists that were like, you're a whore. And then her son came in to defend her. And then Tina came out and, you know. Yeah, they just were witnesses. So they yeah, had to get yeah. care of. Or it's two guys that were drunk and decided they wanted to go see the prostitute mm-hmm. and it just turned bad. Oh, and there was a, oh, I forgot to put this in there. Oh, we're not supposed to say prostitute. It's sex worker. Yes. Oh, we apologize. Yeah, my bad. God. Yeah. Um, there was another thing I forgot to put in this. Um, Bo and Martin were seen at a bar that night. Oh, together? Together wearing suits, like really nice suits. And it was just like a dive bar. Like there was no reason for them to wear suits, but it was almost as if they purposefully put these suits on so that people would be like why are these guys wearing suits so that they would have an alibi Mm yeah they'd be noticed yes Hmm. wild intriguing i think i have heard this case before i have too i i mean i've i've heard all of morbid's episodes so i had to have heard it i listened to morbid yeah to get some information yeah that was a good one good job thanks you're welcome all right ladies and gentlemen well we hope you had have been enjoying the uh the camp murders that we know we have we have this has been fun it was Mm -hmm. super fun yeah jeremy fed us he did i had a frank wiener nathan wiener a nathan wiener yes nathan's wiener (laughs) (laughs) jeremy says that nathan has the best wieners it's true i had a jalapeno cheddar wiener (laughs) (laughs) you had a fat brat (laughs) (laughs) that's what i like so before we wrap things up for the night and get in the camper, get in our sleeping bags, do the whole thing. <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> I'd like to give a quick shout out to the other members of the Golden Mojo Network of Podcasts. Golden Image Podcast. Woo woo. Yo. The call guys. Woo woo woo. And the United States of Paranormal. Jeremy, you want to give a little promo? Golden image? Well, you know, I've been kind of giving the same promo <laughs> right, the whole entire time. In a row. <laughs> so I'm thinking that um, you should go check out Golden Image Podcast because, you know, it's a family show. It's me. It's my two boys. We go out and do things and we, we do them together as a family most of the time. And, you know, we get that... Um, repertoire with each other where we work really well together and Even big words those two i don't give a shout out to the skywalker and chico noise they're really coming into the whole podcasting thing and oh yeah they're, they're doing, doing great. a great job and you know praise to them they're doing wonderful and of course you know chico doesn't just do one podcast Mm-mm. he is a two-time podcasting <laughs> host and he works with his best friend Colton on the call guys. So once again, he's getting a lot of extra time behind the mic and learning how these things come out. And 
They're doing a wonderful job. They do I video. know. I thought maybe he would stay and chat with us for a little <sighs> bit on episode 26, but he left. He left us. He left us. Well, he had, the, he had the family with him. They had little so. Penny. Yeah, they had little Penny. So. They love her. <laughs> She's adorable. Yeah, the call guys. The call guys um, cover pop culture stuff, movies. Yeah, <laughs> they do. <laughs> they, they do all the... They do all the um, the series like the Disney Plus series or yeah. stuff like that, where they go in and talk about them, and it's really cool because they 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 are in themselves as a podcast coming into their own, and their guests they're they're getting their guests or you know they're their buddies and some of the people that uh, Gunner works with that like Chris has been a great guest when it mm-hmm. comes to Star Wars because he's just super knowledgeable on Star oh, yeah. Wars. Guess. And, Guess on the call, guys. <gasps> Ashley and I are going to be guests on the call, guys. Jeremy's going to be a guest on the call. Yeah, guys. don't, don't, the big, don't was, me. I was <laughs> like, <laughs> what is she saying? <laughs> the Merb nerds are going to be a guest on the call, guys. That's right. We're going to do a little crossover. It's on the books. It's on the books, in the calendar, on the drive. Google Drive. It's on the there. Google Drive. Google Rev. <laughs> Google sponsor us. <laughs> <laughs> Just do it. But yeah, that's going to be a lot no, of fun. No, that's Nike. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm ready. I'm not, but I'm interested in doing this. It's a, it, it is a lot myself. of fun working with those guys. Like I said before, I think the last episode, working with Colton and Gunner in that capacity is amazing. <laughs> I can't wait. I'm so excited for and what what you need happen. to do is just make sure you find some good trigger points for Colton so you can get him all worked up and oh, fun. <laughs> I have a feeling Colton and I are gonna butt heads. You guys are gonna touch fingers. <laughs> We're gonna uh, do the awkward mil- was not millennial Gen Z thing. Oh where they no, touch- Jeremy's doing it—the finger guns pointed to each other thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I'm shy. Yeah, Nina did that this weekend. We were at our bar. That's the bar we go to the drag shows at. And yes. she was like, I'm Nina and I'm awkward. And I was like, <laughs> okay. Nina doesn't give what a you, fuck 50? about anything. I, f- I love Nina. Yeah, me too. Oh, so Jeremy and I have another little project that we're doing. And it's been... Um, it's been going great. It's been going amazingly great. And I never thought that I would dive this deep <laughs> into the paranormal. I mean, I like paranormal it's things. Scary. But it is, yeah, doing the research on, on these stories and these investigations is... Been killing it. Wow. It's been amazing, all the things you learn. Oh, yeah. He's been doing really good for doing his first, like, investigatory. I can't wait to catch up. I can catch up Wednesday. There you go. There you go. There you go. So if you want to listen to anything paranormal, check out the United States of uh, Paranormal. <laughs> uh, that's a podcast that Jeremy and I do, Team Boozers. That's right. Along with our Texas partners, Logan, Matt, and Bose, where we go on a road trip across America <laughs> telling is. tales of hauntings, cryptids, and places from each state. So links and social media for all these podcasts can be found within our show notes and on our social media pages. We support each other, so you should too. Um we're a small podcast network. We're just trying to live. We're just trying to make this a thing. Trying to get there. And the more support, the more we grow, the better the content. Build the I just, Build I the just empire. took my headphones off. We're not talking that loud. <laughs> oh, thank God. We're not. We thought we were just, like <laughs> screaming across the campground. It really feels like it. It's so quiet out here, but we're not. We're good. 
If you have anything that you feel like you need to tell us or you have a case that you think we should research for a future episode, especially now that we are doing the big broad country of the U.S. of A., uh, just give us an email. Give, give us, us an Just email. Just give us an email. Murdnerds at gmail.com. Or you could go on any social media platform and just search Murdnerds and you'll see us. You'll see our faces. Yeah, we need we need more interaction on our um on our pages. Instagram. We well, I guess you can't really interact well, you comment on pictures uh, and shit. Whatever. Comment. Facebook. I mean, just get out there, talk to us. You know what yeah. I want to know? Because you can get a conversation going with other Murd nerds and then, you know, get to know each other and it's just it could be fun. Yeah. I want to know what everybody's favorite episode we've done so far is. So post it on our page and then we'll all fight about it. Yeah, and if you do, maybe I'll send you a t-shirt. Oh, shit. Will it be a special edition Camp Murder Nerds t-shirt? Camp Murder Nerds t-shirt, you say. Special edition, you say. What is this? Oh, my God. If you don't win, you can still buy one mm-hmm. on our what on our merch on Murd merch store <laughs> i love saying that <laughs> it's so hard Murd Murd merch uh yeah we're gonna do a special edition we have been doing a special edition Murd merch <laughs> oh my god i'm so tired <laughs> it's like it's cool there's like a fire and camp shirt <laughs> <laughs> Like so a fire. Go, go find that camp. Are they gonna be blue shirt. like that light blue? I really like that color for the promo post that you made on Facebook. Maybe. I mean I guess by the time this airs we'll know. Yeah. But you'll know what we're doing. Jamming. If you wanna know, just go look at the website. Just look at it. You don't have to buy anything. You should. <laughs> I would. <laughs> And we have. And we have. I would do that so fast. We like to support small. Right? Shop local. That's why Who taught us that? That'd be Golden Image Podcast. 100%. Golden Image Podcast. But yeah. Come on, guys. Send us some emails. Let's, let us know how we're doing. Get the conversation started. Yeah. We want to do fun things with you. <laughs> Not in a creepy, weird way, but in a fun, enjoyable way. The more you interact... More things, good things happen for us. The more we can give it back to you. That's yeah. what I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. So I mean, really, you're just being kind of selfish, and you should. I agree. You know what is selfish? Not subscribing or leaving reviews or ratings <laughs> on. on We're here to berate you and tell you everything <laughs> that you are doing wrong on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, which like 68 percent of you do, and the other math percent listen on Spotify. So what's like no fourteen what's fourteen thousand divided by sixty four percent? What's sixty four percent of I was like fourteen thousand. I bet it's like ten, somewhere around ten thousand. Thirteen thousand. With a T. Thousand. What's sixty eight percent of thirteen thousand? I mean it's gotta be somewhere around ten thousand. Oh. Oh okay. <laughs> Yeah. So, th- all of you should go leave an Apple review because what was the math of that? I don't know. Why were we doing that math? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where I am. Uh, 
So yeah, if you listen on Apple or you listen through Spotify, you should go <laughs> rate and review within the app. This is the best and easiest way to help support us here at Murder Nerds. Plus, how much does it cost? 99 cents? Nothing. No. no. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> she was serious. It's free 99. It's free 99. You don't have to pay squat to go rate and review us. Sorry. I was on the next part. All it costs is having a cell phone, I guess. Or yeah. I bet you could do it on a computer. Yeah. I you can. I have. Do it on your tablet. <laughs> tablet? Ask your mom. Oh. Go have her rate and review. I don't care if she hasn't listened. Say, Mom, five stars. Five stars to this podcast. I think you do have to listen to a few episodes. Only on Spotify. You Apple, you can go right in. You can leave a rate and review. You really? Can just, yeah. Grandma, you don't have to listen to Murder Nerds. You can just go rate and review us. We need that. It's free, Grandma. Come on. But also, please. we I feel like we put out Grandma-appropriate content. Oh, I'm sure. Grandmas fucking Grandmas love us. Grandmas would like us. Grandmas fucking love us. Grandmas for Murder Nerds. Who's going to start that group? I'll send you a t-shirt if you do. <laughs> I'm going to do it. <laughs> Grandmas for Murder Nerds. So no, you fucking I have no them. t-shirts. I don't have one t-shirt. I have a t-shirt for you. I know. A yellow one. <sighs> and I've yet to see it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, yeah, it's completely free. This helps us move up in the charts. It helps us get sponsors for ads. It helps make money for us without you guys having to spend any money. It's like free money that you turn into money. Isn't that fucking... What a wild concept. If you would like to help support the podcast monetarily, you can pledge a monthly donation of 99 cents. There Thank you. There you go. 4.99 or 9.99. And once again, this you spend more at Starbucks in a day. You go to Target in the dollar section and you spend 9.99 easily. So just don't Hey go- you at the Amazon store. Yeah, don't buy that. Just yeah. donate it to us. Donate- I donate 5.35 to Wikipedia a month. See, be like Ashley. Donate five thirty five to Murderers so we can buy new fucking chairs because our chairs suck. <laughs> no offense, Jeremy. <laughs> Ashley has so much black stuff all over her. The back lately. of my head and my <laughs> in my hair and on my shoulders. I don't know what that dance means. That's just a dance. She's just doing a dance. He's just he's feeling frisky. Do you have your red shoes on? He doesn't. He has white shoes on. He's got I his got my hey dudes. Roy has hey. Have I talked about this before? I think I have. The hey dudes and Roy has uh, subros because they're from Walmart. That's right. I thought Skechers. Sketchy bro. I don't know. Sketch bro. (laughs) So this helps us at Murderers with equipment, merch, licensing, and anything else that can make Murderers possible. We can turn keep our electric on. Do you want us to be without electric so we can't record? (laughs) (laughs) We need it. We need that. Do you want Ashley to have a beer? I need so beers. So she can be funny. I, I listen, listeners. Take so many beers. Listen, listeners. I have supported Ashley's beer habit for the last <laughs> Six twenty months. Three episodes. <laughs> I always say, it's true, yes. Jeremy. Next time we record, I'm gonna bring a twelve pack, and so I don't have to drink all of your beer. And do you know how many twelve packs I've brought into the studio? Exactly. Zero. And you know why? Because nobody's helped supporting the podcast. (laughs) Circles back around. It just circles right back around. You could help make Jeremy happy by not having to splash. (laughs) So if you want to send us beer money. (laughs) 
Yeah, we we have a beer kitty now. Send a self addressed at absolute. That's gonna say envelope. No stamped envelope. A stamped envelope full of money to. P.O. Box Murderers. If you can't tell, this is not a money-making venture for us. We do this because we care and because we want to, and it takes a lot of time and energy in the process. We do so much research. This is like another job. So I'm very tired because that means I'd be working three jobs, four Mm -hmm. jobs, because two podcasts, so many jobs. Oh, my. So many jobs. I thought we were being pulled over because that person had flashing lights. He's got flashing lights and underglow on his golf cart. With the giant glow sticks on it. So we use Jeremy's money to fund everything that goes into all of these podcasts. (laughs) And we really are in debt to him and need to pay him back. He's our podcast sugar daddy. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny, but it's true. It's so true. He just cares and loves and believes in us. Like I said before. It's a sugar mama thing. <laughs> it's Bobby. It's Bobby's mama. Oh, that's true. <laughs> I love Bobby so much. She's one of my favorite people. Love you, Me Bobby. Me too. I hope so. You married her. <laughs> It'd be real awkward after like 30, 30 years, years of marriage. Yeah. <laughs> 30 years. As long as I've been alive, you guys have been married. Yep, that's, that's weird. True. Go figure so that one. weird. Uh, uh, the small amount we do make off ad revenue, which is no longer happening because we timed out of our ad revenue, which we did make quite a bit. So thanks for all the listeners. And we flipped that around and bought you guys fucking t-shirts. So be grateful. <laughs> yeah, <no> shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, we put it back in the studio as much as we can. Like the whole five dollars that's going to go towards the <laughs> So if you can show your support by pledging a donation each month, or even purchase some pretty awesome merchandise, like the Camp Murder limited edition shirts. And how many times do I have to tell you the shirt's fucking awesome, and it's only going to be around for a very short time. So when we get famous, and you guys have this murder merch merch shirt <laughs> camp murder merch shirt <laughs> jesus christ just don't try again they know what you mean that's gonna sell on ebay for so much money and this is the last episode of the series so that promotion is ending very very soon yes and we're doing this for you i'm giving you a big fucking red flag that hey do this now because it'll pay off in the long run when you can sell that on ebay for like i don't know Tens of dollars, it's going to be worth it. <laughs> It'll at least, like, you can at least get your money back at some point. If you sell that t-shirt. Right, or you can just keep it and keep the memory. <laughs> the, the memories are priceless. So, all of that you can find in our social media pages. You can look at it, you can click through, you can just go there, go look at something. You might find something you want and you're like, I need that. Because I have. Yeah, the the moth one too oh, the is moth pretty one, cool. That's a fan favorite. Yep, I like that one. I still haven't bought it. I need to buy it. I want that oh, shirt. Ashley means she did buy it and she wears it all the time, and it's the best as she f- freaks out about a bug. <laughs> the irony. I've been trying to snatch him out of the air for a while. All right, so now that I'm done with my tangent at the end of the episode, that's become what we're doing. Uh, <laughs> next week we start our regular broadcast back. Yep. Our regularly scheduled episodes, except we're no longer doing it in Indiana. We're doing all over the place. Huge announcement. It'll be me, and I do not know what I'm doing yet, so Hmm. we're all in for a surprise, including (laughs) myself. (laughs) So we hope you guys enjoy, and uh, you guys asked for it. You're getting it. 
see the party still There's a going party on somewhere, yeah. Heck yeah, let's go crash it. All right, until next week, guys. Stay safe out there. Bye. Bye. Bye.